You're listening to the College Age Movement Podcast. Hey everyone, hope that you are well. We are in our next part of our series entitled Seven Mile Miracle. Uh, Last week we talked about Jesus and a statement that he made to both his best friend John and to his mother as he's hanging on the cross. We talked about the importance of community and our spiritual family. If you missed that, you can check that out on last week's podcast. This week, uh, we are going to do parts four and five of our series, A Seven Mile Miracle. We have a guest speaker, Shannon Gardner, next week, and I may or may not, I did, ask her to speak on uh, the passage that is supposed to be the following week, and so we're, we're cramming two together here, and uh, we're going to cover uh, quite a bit of scripture here in the next 20 minutes or so. So part four and five of our series, Seven Mile Miracle. Uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew to start, Matthew chapter 27 verses 45 through 54, and it says this. It says, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm going to stop right here real quick. It's important that we understand that when it says about three in the afternoon, that's not just a throwaway statement. It is something significant because in their culture, The Jewish people would bring their lambs to be slaughtered as a sacrifice to God at three o'clock. That is when they would be slaughtered. So there's nothing about this that is happenstance. There's nothing that's random. God planned and orchestrated this perfectly, and Jesus played his part perfectly. So, Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of these standing there heard this, they said he's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone and let's see if Elijah comes to save him. When Jesus had cried out again, cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. So next week, Shannon's going to talk through the statement, it is finished. But this week, I want to talk about the statement, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The first point this week is simply the word forsaken. I think out of all the statements that we have looked at, that we will look at through this series, this is probably the hardest one for us to fully understand. We can understand community, we can understand forgiveness, we can understand love and and all of those things on some level, but I don't think we can even begin to comprehend the pain that Jesus is going through in this moment. He took a physical beating, he was pierced, he had a crown of thorns placed on his head. But this pain, the pain of separation, was the greatest pain that he experienced. Jesus had eternally been connected to his heavenly father, eternally, but to truly do what he had to do, to take on the sins of the world, to be the sacrificial lamb that we didn't deserve, he had to be disconnected. And that was the pain that hurt him the most. In this moment, the phrase that Jesus echoes is found in Psalm chapter 22, verses one and two. And this is David. David speaking to God says this, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? 
My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Have you ever felt this way? I know I have. I know that that throughout my life, I have had moments of disconnection from God where I look at God, I go, where are you? It could be a situation. It could be in the midst of studying or pursuing God. And I just feel like God is distant. I feel like there's something significantly wrong and, or I feel like God just is disinterested in my life circumstance. And I'm sure if you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, or if you're spiritually unresolved, even there, there are these moments where we feel like God is distant and far away. In his book, Stephen Furtick talks about mother Teresa as an example he talks about that when she died, they released a book. They, they, they put a book together, and it was full of letters and documents that she had written, and most of them were letters that she had written to a friend. And in those personal letters, she admitted that there were seasons of her life, seasons of her ministry, where she felt like God was not present. Like, this is Mother freaking Teresa, and she's admitting that there's, there, are, there are these seasons. And there's a term for this. It's called the dark night of the soul. The dark night of the soul where we feel like God is not present, where we feel like God is distant. But here's the thing. For so many of us, and for especially Mother Teresa, she still was committed to her calling in those seasons where God felt distant. She didn't stop doing the things that she she knew God had asked her to do in those seasons where it felt like God was not orchestrating things like he was at the high, high moments. She kept doing. She was continuing to fulfill the calling on her life. And I think what we have to understand is that there are going to be seasons of our life where God feels distant, where he seems distant. But we still have to play our part because even though God may feel distant, he isn't. You see, in Psalm 22, David cries out to Jesus in verses 1 and 2. But then in verse 3, he says this, Yet... Yet, that important that important word, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. So he says, honestly, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So, so, so far away, you, you're not hearing the cries of my anguish. I cry out by day and night and you don't answer. And yet, and yet I know that you are enthroned as the Holy One. See, Mother Teresa, even though she had dark nights of the soul, And yet I know God is who he said he is. Yet you are enthroned. In every season, would we be willing to say, and yet I know that no matter how distant you may seem, God, I know that you are enthroned. We can feel distant. Our emotions are valid. Like we can lean into those things and we can question those things. I think there's health to be found in questioning. Like, why does God not feel so as close in this season? Like, what are the things that we need to adjust? What are the things that, that, that we need to look at? Like all those different things. I think it's healthy in a lot of different, in a lot of different ways. We can be frustrated, but here's the, what we have to understand. We can still be fruitful in our frustration. That even when we feel like God is not close, that doesn't mean that God still isn't using us to do the things that he called us to do in the first place. Maybe we could be people who use the seasons where we feel far from God to seek his face more. We may feel far from God, but he's right where he always is. His proximity has not changed. God's proximity is not dependent on our circumstance. He is always as close as a brother. He always is close. His proximity is not determined by our situation by our circumstance maybe the thing that needs to be adjusted is internal in us 
God's proximity doesn't need to be adjusted. He's always close. We need to adjust. The next point is this. He was forsaken, so we never have to be. I think that our humanity causes us to look at the cross um, as the thing that we avoided. Uh, We think about the physical pain that we avoided. We think about what Jesus did, like the beating, the shame. We, We think about all that. We avoided those things. But often I think we fail to look at the spiritual and emotional pain of the cross. That we avoided the spiritual and emotional pain, the spiritual and emotional separation from God. He took that too. When Jesus was disconnected from the Father, he did that under the full understanding that the result would be that we will always be connected. His disconnection led to our connection. My prayer is that we would be people who are willing to pause and be in awe of what Jesus did, not just on the cross, but through the cross. It wasn't just physical. It was so much more. God confidently says to his people that he will never leave nor forsake us because Jesus took the abandonment for us in a singular miraculous moment. I think the challenge for us today is to understand the truth of who God actually is, not who we perceive him to be in a given season. I want to say that again. The challenge for us today is to understand that the truth of who God actually is, is not who we perceive him to be in a given season. He is not dependent on our season. He is the same yesterday, today, forever. Our lives change. Our God does not. One last thought as we are on this line of thinking. Jesus knew that he was going to experience pain. He knew that he was going to experience agony. He knew that he was going to experience abandonment from his disciples. They all took off other than John like we learned last week. His fully human side probably had some trepidation about those things, but His spirit feared the separation from his father more than anything. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus asked for the cup to be taken from him, but also says, your will, not mine. This is what's really interesting. Gethsemane, this garden that Jesus goes and he prays in before he is arrested, actually stands for olive press. You can't get olive oil without pressing the olive. You can't get olive oil without pressing the olive. So what we have to understand is that the anointing of God is produced under pressure. The anointing of God is produced under pressure. Jesus fulfilled the ultimate promise under the ultimate pressure. He experienced true forsakenness, true abandonment on our behalf. So what does his true abandonment and true forsakenness mean for our perceived forsakenness? It means that we can still be obedient in the face of opposition. The opposition does not determine our obedience. We are obedient to Jesus and the calling that he has on our life, no matter what. No matter how we're feeling, we are still obedient. God has spoken promises and callings over each one of our lives. I think that we need people that lean into the pressure because it might just be the thing that produces the anointing of God over our lives. It might be the thing that just produces the anointing over the lives of the people around us. That God is going to work and produce under pressure and we can too. So the second statement from the cross that we're going to look at this week is found in the Gospel of John, John 19, verse 28. It simply says this, Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. I am thirsty. Three words. I think on one of the most basic levels, I love this verse because it's a reminder that Jesus, while being fully God, was also fully man. He thirsted. His body was giving out. I think it's a beautiful reminder that Jesus came to earth to not just die for us, but live like us. 
he fully understands what it means to be in our shoes and and that's huge for us to we to to know that that we do not serve a god who is unaware of our human plight we serve a god who fully understands what it means to be human he's lived the life he's walked the walk but i think that this is the question that we have to ask what am i thirsting for what do you thirst for Let's be perfectly clear. The distress that Jesus was going through physically is worlds different than what our distress is leading us to thirst for. However, it's important that we take stock of our lives and we ask ourselves what we seem desperate for, what we seem thirsty for. Maybe we're thirsty for for healing. Maybe we're thirsty for a new job. Maybe we're thirsty for freedom from an addiction. Maybe it's a, a, a relationship that we so desperately want. Maybe it's something completely different. But no matter what, we will find ourselves thirsting for something. And sometimes they're healthy things and sometimes they aren't. But here's the thing. When we are thirsty, we have to diligently be committed to quenching our thirst from the right source. Where we draw water from changes everything. I love a nice ice cold glass of water. I love having my hydro flask packed with ice and and refrigerated filtered water. There is nothing better. It is so, so good. I, I walk around with a hydro flask everywhere I go. I also take my hydro flask with me when I go to Pioneer Park. It's a park here in Billings, Montana. If you're from here, you probably are very aware of it. And there's a creek that runs through this park. And it is not a cool creek. It is not a pretty creek. It is a disgusting sewage swamp creek. And it stinks. And if I was to take my hydro flask and go and fill it up with that water, I might quench my thirst, but I'm going to be regretting it for a long time. I promise. See, where I fill up my water bottle with, the, the source that provides the water matters where we quench our thirst from matters our source matters if it's not jesus it's going to lead to pain and agony there are going to be a thousand different places where you and i can try to find relief but only jesus brings eternal solutions only jesus brings eternal relief there are things that might bring temporary relief there are things that might quench our thirst for a moment but they might be followed by a ton of regret we are human we have distress, we will, we will make mistakes, we have weaknesses. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, many of us know this verse, it says, My grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Here's the thing. We, we can quench the thirst with the wrong place, we can, with the wrong source, and God will still use that. Or we can be diligent about quenching our thirst at the right place, and God will absolutely use that. And would we be people who quench our thirst from the right source? Admitting our desperate need for Jesus will only get us to closer to this, hear me, to our holy desires, the holy desires of our heart, the holy things that we thirst for. Our desperate need for Jesus will only get us closer to the holy desires of our heart. The healthy and holy things that we are so desperate for, that we thirst for, will not be found any better way than through Jesus. Undeniably, we are human, we are broken, we are messy, we are full of cracks and chips, and yet God has confidence us, confidence in us and wants to work through us. Two final points. First one, we are temporary vessels that carry an eternal message. The message of Jesus has been entrusted to us. We get to be hope dealers. Hear that right, hope dealers, not dope dealers. Hope dealers. 
We got to be grace dealers. We got to be mercy dealers. We got to be love de- dealers. We got to be just, I mean, we got to be everything that Jesus is for us as, as he works through us in the lives of the people around us. See, every day, even though we are weak, he is strong. Every day, even though we are imperfect, he is perfect. Every day, when we thirst, he is our living water. We want every single person to know the love of Jesus. The love of Jesus in our own lives is not meant just for us. It's for us to share it with the people around us. Last point is this. Our thirst will serve a purpose. Our thirst will serve a purpose. Every one of us has something different that we thirst for. I believe that God can use every single one of those things for good and for the kingdom of God. If they are unhealthy thirsts, I think that he can use them to teach us lessons. I think he can refine us through them. I think that he can build us up through them and and create in us better followers of Jesus and better human beings. If they're healthy thirsts, I not only believe that he can make those things happen, I think that he can use them for the kingdom of God. It might be that new job. If it's a healthy place, if it's a, if it's a good thing that God has laid out for you, I think he's not only going to give you the job, I think that he's going to use that job for you to influence the people in that place and the people around you. You, If you're desperately thirsty for a relationship and it's coming from a holy place, it's a holy desire, I think that God's not only going to provide a relationship, but that's going to be a relationship that will propel you to influence more people than you possibly could on your own. God will use the thirsts of our lives, the things that we are thirsty for, the things that we are desperate for, for good, for the kingdom of God. Our stories are unique. They are complicated and full of intricacies, but our God is big enough to weave every single one of them into a bigger story, into the bigger story, into the story that Jesus started. We have to understand the things that we are desperate for. God will use those parts of our story to make incredible things happen. Thank you for listening to the College Age Movement podcast. College Age Movement's in-person gatherings meet Tuesday nights at 7, and we would love to have you there. If you are unable to join us in person, you can engage online at faithchapel.cc or follow us on our socials at collegeagemvmt.